0: My name's Rick Edwards, welcome to Man Marking.
1: We're asking, where's the talking, lads? You want to get into, out, out the game what you put into it, Shelley.
2: hmm
1: And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered.
0: you regret that at oh,
1: all? Yeah, I, gre- oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's is a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that.
3: Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Rick Edwards.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Rick Edwards. I am a broadcaster, which is just a sort of fancy term for presenter. Um, so I'm a TV and radio presenter and I do a bit of writing, so books and you know scripts sometimes. And I am a
3: big football fan. The boys are back in town. The man-marking chaps are back in front of me via via Zoom. Which I have to admit I didn't know existed until March of last year, is Ryan Pulford and Anthony Olson. Fellas, how are we? It's been a while.
2: Been a while. We've had Christmas, New Year at home, second lockdown. Full circle really, isn't
3: it? Yeah, exactly.
2: Still here to still here to tell the story, so
1: Is it is it not the third lockdown?
3: Yeah, I, I, got, I, yeah, yeah. The
1: the second was, one though, it was wasn't a very good I didn't think. No, not for me. The third one's got a lot in it. Like it's good. Yeah, good. They sliced the cash. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, I think what happened was <laughs> that HBO picked up the rights for the third one. Yeah. Um, oh, okay.
2: okay. New director, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, I bet. So Wiggly Scott, he was in it. <laughs> um, lads, how we doing then? How how's our start to twenty twenty one being? Ryan, I know you're still. Uh, underneath a pile of rubble, fixing your house up.
2: Yeah, Rubble Wilson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, constantly got dusty air and just battling, yeah.
1: I uh, I discovered, I think it might have been today, that you can actually follow your uh, renovation journey on Instagram.
2: Yeah, oh, so Rachel wanted to, she said, so actually go back like over a year. I was doing this podcast and it's taken up a lot of time and then i was going to i was watching footy doing all that and then i said well when we get the house you can just do one of them house ones that people do never thought of it again never spoke of it again when we old we got the keys and she went oh do you remember when you mentioned that thing about doing an instagram and i was
0: like
2: i don't remember it yeah so anyway she we had a back and forth with the name i didn't like the name not involved anyway she does all these photos and then you this week she's had to isolate because mum's got COVID, so she couldn't come to the house to take any photos. And I joked and we said, "Well, oh, I'll take them then. I'll, I'll start doing some posts on it." She won't give <laughs> me the password. <laughs> 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 I was like, "I thought it was our account." No, you'll wreck it. So there you go. Yeah. So I'm, yep. I'm aware that Rach does some some posts, and there was even a selfie on there the other day. I don't know how that that got on there, but
1: there I haven't. Well, I haven't followed it, but I might do now.
3: Were you, <laughs> you were you in the selfie, right?
2: No. No, I
3: just went on Instagram, clicked on the story, and I was like, oh. Don't want to see it if you want in no, it. No, no. I'm only interested in seeing it. <laughs> but yes, as we mentioned, we are back. We are back, dear listener. Um, First things first, then, before we before we get started with this episode, over the last nine, ten months or so, we've been bringing you many, many of these man-marking episodes. I think we've done about 50-something. And we know we've had uh, quite a lot of lovely feedback from you via Twitter or from WhatsApp messages from people who've known or email or various different bits and bobs. So what we are wanting you to do a wee favour for us, if you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other man-marking episodes of which there are many, many for you to enjoy, could you please log into Apple Podcasts uh, and drop us a rating, a review, and uh, hit the five stars. We want five stars, don't we?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really want the negative ones. Leave them. Leave them with yourself.
3: Yes, don't do those. If you don't like it, then please. In fact, to be honest with you, if they don't like it, they're probably not listening to me say this now. <laughs> because it's yeah, we've I'd done quite four. a lot of
2: I want five, but I'd take four. They're no, not,
3: we only want on five. We've got, oh, we... we've got only five so far, so we need oh, okay. more, fives. more of that then. Just five. Yeah. So get on your Apple Podcast and hit us with a, a, a wee a, a wee like and a and a and a review. It just helps us to reach new listeners and and grow the podcast and and keep spreading the message about encouraging men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Right, so on with the episode. Today's guest is Rick Edwards. And as we discussed in the quickfire, as you'll find out that we discussed in the quickfire, Rick Edwards is a rather tall man, a very tall man. Six foot five, did we? we, I think
2: that's right, yeah.
3: Six foot five. So what I want to know from you two is, and this is, I realize this is going to be quite a basic question, but, I, but I'm hoping that your creative juices will flow. And um, what I want to know from you two is, who is your favorite tall footballer? And an Ant, you you know, you're looking spicy today. You've already given us a, an off air uh, Donald Trump impression. So, uh, you know, I'm expecting something, something good from you. Here. So who is your favorite tall footballer?
1: I'm going to say it's not you because you're under six foot and you're not a footballer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 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 Two things (laughs) things got against you there. No, Peter Crouch, because it is still funny to me that a six foot seven man has the same name Crouch. Yeah. Uh, So it's just simple. It's effective. Rather like the big man himself. Um, Best overhead kicks. I think you'll ever see because he does it from one 18 yard box to the other.
3: Yeah. It's just one step for him.
1: It's it's amazing, um, you know, and he does stupid things in his own uh, personal life, like trying to buy a slide. If anyone's ever listened to that uh, episode of his podcast, I don't know if it's any good. Like, um,
3: <laughs> so don't, yeah. don't be getting on Apple Podcasts and giving yeah, that don't, five stars. Don't rate them. Come to us. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, he tried to buy a slide. Um, he priced well. He, he got all the designs and stuff, and then he learned that it cost fifty grand.
3: <laughs> I, I think. I think. I think Abby Clancy put the kibosh on it there.
1: Oh, absolutely.
3: I think she's other words. No chance. No he's
1: chance. Rich, he's spending fifty grand on a slide. No. Um, but yeah, no. He's probably uh, my favourite tall footballer. Yeah.
3: Very good, Ryan. Who's your favourite tall footballer? Don't say Shane, Shane Long.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine was, oh, is Jan Collar because he, he was six foot eight, had a big booty head, and every time you would watch like international tournaments in the summers, he'd always just be there causing mayhem. And you kind of thought he was a bit of a parody, but then you look back and he's Czech Republic's all time leading goal scorer, 55 goals for his country. He's got 245 career goals, but even better. On Wikipedia, a lot of players have a style of play, a bit, a bit of a paragraph on their style of play. And I just want to read you Yang Collars because it starts off quite normal, but the end the end description <laughs> really tickled me. So it says, Collar was particularly noted for his height, strong physique and heading ability, being referred to as a towering forward and even a human lighthouse. <laughs> i've never heard of a footballer described as a lighthouse before but
3: Jan collar stood in the sea just helping boats <laughs> not crash into the shoreline on his days off young collar actually likes to stand in the sea and guide local <laughs> shipping lanes through on their merry way oh my <laughs> god timing <laughs> yeah we should have yeah when we did the um, when we did the bit about what our favourite jobs the footballers are doing after their career. Why did none of us pick Jan Collar? Lighthouse. <laughs> 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 the thing that always
1: struck me about Jan Collar is obviously he was a big, tall, bald footballer. But like everyone else, I mean, at six foot eight, everyone else is going to be really small around, yeah. But like it was Thomas Rositzky and Pavel Medved. And yeah. They were so small.
2: Yeah, me <laughs> <and Baros. laughs> it's Desi as well. That he's got a couple of kids. So would that be the Lighthouse family? <laughs> <laughs> that's very
3: good. I think the series has peaked at, at that moment. Yeah, we're not going out again. <laughs> no, that's that's that. Yeah, thanks. For, we're back and now we're done. Finished. <laughs> um, and I was disappointed. Um, that you didn't go for Big Dan Byrne, Dan Byrne, Big Dan Byrne. So, um, <laughs> some years ago, Ant and I went to a Wigan versus Newcastle match when Wigan were in Wigan and Newcastle were both in the championship, um, at the uh, at the DW Stadium. And Dan Byrne was he was playing for Wigan at the time. Was he was he playing left back then? Was he, he playing might- center off or left of a three? Yeah,
1: was, I think he, so.
3: He was at the back anyway, and we're sat in, in, in the Wigan end. Um And every time he got the ball, and it, it was every time, wasn't it? Literally yeah, every yeah. time there was a big Scottish man behind us who'd stand up and go, Go on, Big Don Bowen! <laughs> every time. It was absolutely amazing. It was so funny. Just screaming at him and then you'd see, I mean, Dan Bain's quite a striking individual to watch, anyway, just of his, his physique, and then just to have this enormous man shouting in Scottish at him behind us—it was unbelievable. Fair,
1: I think I think he would have been able to hear him as well because, like, it was quite quiet. In yeah, it wasn't moments that, that much because it was like a, it was like a training game for Newcastle. Yeah, and the, the only reason we went, I think, was to see Rafa just take his glasses off and put them in his little pocket.
3: Yeah, we did in <laughs> the, the match. And we saw it. We saw. Yeah, him we do did. It. yeah it was great. And then and then, Ant got the biggest. Uh, Bit, drink of pepsi or coke i've ever seen in my entire life it yeah. was enormous so we walked past a cinema an odeon cinema to get back to the car because the dw was on like a like a shopping mall estate thing whatever you'd call them a retail park shopping mall estate shopping mall <laughs> estate um and we walked past an odeon cinema and Ant went in to get a drink and I said, oh, I'll wait outside for you. And I thought he'd got a popcorn. That's how big the drink was. It was absolutely massive. That's was that's like, they they were all looking at me. They
1: were all looking at me behind the counter going, oh, no, what film are you going to see? And I was like, no, I just want a drink, mate. I'm all right. I'm
2: damn <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing with the pictures that isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, so you can get a litre of a Coke for £4.20, but for £4.35, we'll give you seven <laughs> gallons. <laughs> <laughs> just picture and Pop, just sitting there going...
3: <laughs> it he still had half of it left when we got back from Wigan like, yeah, we, still had it.
1: yeah, Wigan's not that far but he yeah, did have a lot of it left
3: and an enormous amount of drink left rumours suggest that he may still have some of it today but uh, we couldn't possibly comment uh, anyway we're going to move on to uh, to Rick Edwards uh, first of all Ryan I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you why did we want to speak to Rick Edwards how did this this interview come about <clears throat>
2: Well, apart from just being a great guy and someone you'd want to speak to, it first kind of came about when, if anyone follows us on the socials and on, on Twitter, um, we did a series of tweets regarding books that, that we'd read, and he's got a book called Science-ish. Uh, he's co-wrote that with, what's the name of the guy who wrote that with Dan?
3: Dr. Michael Brooks.
2: Dr. Michael Brooks, uh, That I believe you read on, on holiday and have sequentially... Um, Subquentially, what kind of words are? Uh, <laughs> Sounds like
3: a word from the science book. From scientists, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: wow. Anyway, I'm making up words now. Anyway, but since then, I think you actually listened to the podcast as well. Um, most of us just remember Rick Edwards from sort of um, T4 and, th- and things like that on, and on TV. But you read his book and you, you tweeted it in that in that series of tweets and he, he responded to it. And I think, to be honest, you just took a punt because we all really liked him. You especially and he was nice enough to, to get back to us and agree to come on the show. And he even said that he'd listened to a few episodes, which was, I think, a really nice thing for us to hear and something we were quite proud of as well. But, yeah, numerous reasons why we wanted to speak to him. But aside from being a, a great person, it was that those series of tweets.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, every episode we have a theme. Anthony, can you tell our um, our beautiful, our gorgeous listeners what this week's theme is?
1: Uh, yeah, so obviously every every episode we have a theme, don't we? Uh, so this week is the reality of fame and making your parents proud. Obviously, Rick uh, going for all to his career, really, and education as well. That has always kind of been the aim, you know, to to go and, go and do his parents proud. And, you know, when you get... <laughs> I think I heard someone say, you know, a lot of people want to become famous. And when they get to it, it's very hard to actually deal with it. So it, it's not a not a thing that just Rick might have struggled with or, or anything like that it's you know it affects a lot of people a lot more people now uh, as well uh, fames a, a little bit more easier to access with with various social media things but also you know anyone listening if anyone picks up any any themes uh, of their own please feel free to get in touch you know you can contact us uh, via email which Danny's going to
3: remember for me right now it is the manmarking podcast at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, if you want to share what you took away from the episode, uh, Rick talks uh, for a long time about a lot of a lot of really interesting uh, interesting things. So, it'd be great to hear what you took
3: away from it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So, we're going to now go to uh, to Rick Edwards' interview. Uh, you're listening to Man Marking, and we will see you on the other side.
2: Fantastic. And aside from us asking you, could you let us know why you agreed to do an interview for my Market?
0: Yeah, uh, so um, when you uh, approached me, I just listened to uh, a couple of episodes um, and really, um, really enjoyed it. And, and I think uh, as well as being a big football fan, I'm quite interested in the sort of intersection between um, mental health and, and, and football. I think there's, I think it's a really good, concept for a show and I think you're you know I think you're executing it really really nicely and getting some really interesting uh stuff and I think um yeah so it just I mean t- to be clear a, everyone has a podcast these days don't they um uh, and um so you get asked to do quite a lot and I have to say I generally say no because you, you, you know otherwise you just spend your entire life doing podcasts it's <laughs> uh, but um but yeah no so it was quite um yeah I was I was very uh happy to be to be asked actually. Thank you
2: massively appreciate it. And you and you've mentioned there that you are a football fan.
0: Who, who would be yeah. your team? Uh, I'm a Liverpool fan. Um okay. so I am pretty uh pretty well, well I suppose I mean, yes, I am I'm very happy at the moment, but I'm also slightly unhappy. Um but that's um that's being a football fan, isn't it? You've always got something to grumble about.
2: Yeah, we're both Tramia fans, so we're always unhappy, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> And how would you describe your relationship with football?
0: Um, my relationship with football is quite uh, intense, I would say, um, and it's it's quite peculiar insofar as I support a team um, and have passionately supported a team for now thirty six years um, from a place that I am not from that I have no that I have no Connection to it was a very arbitrary decision when I was six, um, and I, I my dad was making me watch the um, the 1986 FA Cup final, uh, Everton Liverpool, and uh, I wasn't really enjoying it. Uh, I thought it was quite boring because <laughs> I was six, and yeah. um, and he said, "I'll pick a team; be, you'll like it more." And I picked the red team, um, and then the red team went one goal down, and I sulked. And I went and helped my mum make a cake in the kitchen. And then I came back in and the red team were 2-1 up and then went on to win 3-1. And um, and then from that point on, uh, I, I've been a Liverpool fan. But I could just as easily have picked the blue team and now be an Everton fan. Like, it, it's so it's so arbitrary. And yet it now, it, it's such a big part of my life and, and personality and affects my, um, you know... Uh, it affects whether or not I'll I, I can do other things in my life, so I'll never do anything that clashes with the football, <laughs> um, which uh, much to my um, wife's annoyance certainly. Uh, and you know, it kind of it it really it massively influences my mood. Like genuinely, um, it it can ruin my it can ruin my weekend. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of mad. it's like it is a madness i think it is a, a type of madness like i can't if you really just try and take a step back and then analyze your relationship with these um you know 25 players and manager who you've who you've never met and have nothing to do with and that the influence they have over my life it, it's it, it just doesn't make just doesn't make sense i think you know it's it's always yeah. difficult to explain to someone who isn't a football fan, isn't it? Like, what what is it? What is yeah. it that, that compels you to follow this um, with such vigour? And um, it's hard to answer, hard to justify, <laughs> truth be told. But, you know, we are where we are. Yeah.
2: I must admit, everything you just said, I really resonate with because I go through the same emotions. And often, like, to my girlfriend's annoyance, we have to plan things around going to the football. I think she's loved... I think that's been her favourite part of the lockdown, is me not being (laughs) able to attend football matches, which would normally border maybe 40 games a season. So, yeah, I I completely agree with that. Obviously, football is very tribalistic. What is the reaction to sort of Liverpool fans from Liverpool when you tell them you support Liverpool?
0: Um, So, actually, I... I've never really had much of a negative um, reaction from from scouts, Liverpool fans. Um, you you get much more negativity, obviously, from uh, from opposition fans. But I think Liverpool, for such a long time, has has had quite a widespread fan base, like famously in you know Scandinavia and stuff, There's you know, a big Norwegian contingent. It just feels like it's um it's quite a weirdly quite cosmopolitan fan base in in that sense. Um so it's never really been never really been an issue except and this is a strange thing to say, but I, I suppose if I had a regret it's that I didn't just support Tottenham. Because then I would never have to answer the question, "Why are you a such and such?" <laughs> um, because Liverpool, I, I always have to give this sort of explanation. It isn't really an explanation. It's just like it's a thing that happens and it, it's true, but it doesn't kind of don't really explain it. Whereas if it was Tottenham, I'd just be like, "Well, I'm, like that's where I'm from." Very, easy, very, very, very easy. And I sort of like I wouldn't if I ever have kids. Uh, I definitely. Wouldn't be trying to guide them in any direction in terms of if they want to support a football team, they can they can pick whoever they want, apart from United. Obviously, you've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, and uh, but I would probably say pick a team that's near us so we can go <laughs> yeah. and see, go, go see games. So I, you know, I only see Liverpool live in you know, in, in the flesh probably three, maybe four times a season. It's a shame. I'd, lo- I'd love to, you know. I'd love to go more, but it just isn't isn't practical. Whereas if, for example, I have a kid and he says, right, we're going to, you know, I'm going to support Arsenal, we well, could go to the Emirates, you know, like it's, it's, it's just down the road, same same with Tottenham, or if he said Barney or, or whatever, um, uh, or she, clearly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would probably, yeah, if I had my time again, and I, I realise this does sound in, insane, I would... I would have picked my local team, but I didn't really, I didn't have a concept of that when I was when I was doing the picking, if you know of what course. I
2: mean. Yeah, no, of course. It's quite funny when when people hear mine and Danny's accent, they always say to us, are you a red or a blue? And we have to go, oh, actually, we're trying to be a Tramie fan. So we, we almost have the opposite to what you have. And then you sometimes <laughs> get that response from people who kind of like football, who go, but who's your Premier League team? I'm like, no, that's it. We, we just support Tramia, there's no one else, and they can't quite get the head around it, which is quite funny. But um in terms of of, of you then as a person who, and you you obviously went to university and you did a science degree and you mm. you now um, do journalism, broadcasting and the like. When you when you first went to university, what, what did you have in mind as a career?
0: Uh, honestly, I didn't uh, I didn't have one in, in mind. I um... I went to university because I knew that my mum and dad would be really chuffed if I did, because uh, no one in my family had gone gone before, and um, uh, yeah, it would just—I knew it would make them make them very happy, and uh, it 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 did, and and still does. I, by far, it's the thing that they're they're most proud of still, um, even though it's quite a long time ago, and and, and everyone. <laughs> university right (laughs) so um uh but i had no i genuinely had no idea of what i what i wanted to do and so i i just went i actually started off doing maths and then changed to do a science degree um uh, and that was because when i'd chosen my a levels um i just chose the things that i found uh well a that i found sort of easiest and b that i thought would be the least work um and obviously those two things are related and so I just do sort of maths and further maths and and what have you um and and I I always I always loved maths and I always loved loved science so it felt like a sensible thing to go and do at uni um but with absolutely no um no no plan um no no sense of what that might lead to um which um so it's, it's, it's ridiculous because uh, I mean I, I what's what's interesting I think is that if I had been a year younger I I, I was the last year that got university for for free and I think that if uh, I'd been yeah the following year when you had to pay tuition fees. I, it's sort of, I'm not sure that I would have gone, actually, because we didn't have, um, like, my, my mum and dad didn't have any money. Um, and uh, I, I think we would have had quite a long conversation about what am I what am I going to university for? Um, what am I what am I looking to um, get out of it? And I don't think I would have had an answer. I think it was just like, oh, it's just sort of, you know, lots of people are doing it. You, you'll be proud. Um, and I'm not sure that would have justified spending however much you know like 10 grand um you know on, on top of your uh, living expenses and stuff which already were, were quite sort of onerous for, for you know it it, well, it wasn't entirely clear how i was going to be able to afford to go even without tuition fees and we you know, managed to make it work and i got some odd jobs while i was at uni but um so so it was a real um yeah it could it, it, it could have gone anywhere for, for me i mean there's certainly yeah, it wasn't like I was thinking, ah, yes, I'll go and, um, you know, be a, be a chemist or, or whatever. I had no, yeah, I had no am idea.
2: I, am I right you thinking you went to Cambridge? Yes, yes. Um, what what was that like then, about going to such a prestigious school and the pressures and everything that comes along with it?
0: Um, it was quite... Um, quite odd. You know, I think I had a sort of... You know, Cambridge is, is sort of quite related to the thing of trying to make my parents proud, I think, um, in that I really wanted to go, if I was going, I wanted to go to Bristol, because that's where um, quite a few of my friends went. Um, but I uh, thought that I had a chance of getting into Cambridge, and it would be silly not to try, therefore. Um, and I think that the, the, the moment when I found out that I'd got the grades that I needed to go um, you know, in, in relating to my offer, was uh, so obviously it was really it was really exciting, but it's slightly bittersweet because I do think part of me was thinking, well, if I don't get them, I get to go to Bristol uh, with um, with the other, with the other boys. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> quite fun. Um, uh, but yeah, the, I had a, a fear that, particularly going to do maths, that the the people who do maths at Cambridge were going to be, you know, weirdos. Um, and my fear was massively realised. Um, th- these, I mean, su- such oddballs, like really very unusual people, and people that I really struggled to um, have any kind of relationship with. And that, that's part of the reason I stopped doing maths. Actually, I kind of fell out of love with maths because I, 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 I couldn't, um, I couldn't make friends with anyone on my course. I just uh, found them; they're very you know, it, it's like, it's the most, probably, it's probably the most prestigious maths course in, in the world and it attracts people who are just so um, in, into it. Uh, and, I, and that wasn't really me. I think I sort of, you know, I just got a bit lucky, maybe. Um, and then, yeah, I found it, found it really, really hard. I found the, the work hard, but I also found the kind of social element quite hard. And on top of that, um, i don't think i'd ever well no definitely i'd never met a, a public schoolboy before and you go to cambridge and they're they're everywhere and um and they all uh, dress the same and they all um they all sort of <laughs> broadly speaking look the same and they all talk the same and they all know each other somehow yeah. <laughs> in different parts of the country and uh, <laughs> it's quite it's just unsettling i was like i don't I've got no way into this Um, and then eventually like after it it took a it took a little while I think but um, I um, you know I met some people not on my not on my course but other people at my college who were a bit more um, I mean it's not quite the right word but a bit more normal Um, and then and then from there I had quite a nice time once I'd found yeah some, some people to be friends with, uh, and uh, and and you know that all, all of my best friends now are people that I met at, at uni. Um, but it's a strange. I think it's. I mean it's. It, you know it's almost facile to point it out, but it is very very academic, um, mm. and that, that is the whole focus. And that's not really what I wanted from uni. I don't think I was more interested in trying to sort of have have fun and that um, that's slightly at odds with the with the vibe at at Cambridge Um, so I I think I was quite bad I think I was quite a bad fit for (coughs) an institution that um, that academic Um, yeah I was I was essentially a kid who is lucky because I was good at exams and I don't know what I've I've not done anything to um, to to deserve that it just happens that I I am one of these people who enjoys exams, and that, I've always I've thrived on that um, pressure. I just kind of like it, and, and I've always done, done well. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're a good student, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't, you know, I think it's a bad, I think exams on the whole are quite a bad measure of ability. Um, they're quite a good measure of how good are you at exams.
2: Yeah, I imagine similar to sort of myself and Dan, when you go to a, a sort of a standard secondary school, everybody looks for like the your badges of honour, I've got a new pair of football boots or a new pair of trainers and then you, you find yourself in Cambridge and all these people come with all this esteem and it might be that they've got a famous father or people are aware of them because of achievements they've arrived at the school with and it becomes a bit of a different ball game I would imagine being surrounded by that yeah. the
0: yeah, I mean I, I had a, a slightly I should say actually because it's it uh I went to I got a scholarship to a, a grammar school. So I, I think in that regard it, it wasn't as much so I uh, you yeah know, I them friends when I when I went to Cambridge who went to um uh, state comps um and I think their shock was greater than mine because at least I had gone to a school where there were some you know there were definitely some like well-off kids but still nothing like public school kids but they're not but it's almost like a half like a sort of halfway house I suppose I don't know yeah um, uh but but yeah it's um yeah it's um it, it was a shock it was, it was a it was a shock um but once I got over the shock yeah I, I don't know okay so
2: I must admit myself and Danny went to we stayed in Cambridge uh, one weekend because we'd been to watch Tram. We played Peterborough in the FA Cup, and yeah. we were we were very alarmed at how early pubs and nightclubs closed because obviously the the universe has <laughs> a huge influence. You, you mentioned before about wanting to go to Bristol with your friends. Was that a bit of a, a moral dilemma between sort of what your parents wanted you to do and kind of what you wanted to do?
0: Well, do you know what I? I I think that I was probably imagining a, um, a, a pressure from my parents. My, my parents have always been really um, supportive of anything I'd ever wanted to do. And I think if I'd said to them, I want to go to Bristol, they would have been fine with that. I, I, um, but internally, I thought that they would prefer me to go to Cambridge. And I'm sure that they would, but they wouldn't have. But like they certainly might, you know, my parents have never been in any way pushy um and and I don't like now looking back I definitely don't regret going to uh, going to Cambridge um because because of the friends that I made made there um and uh and and, and weirdly like I've kind of lost touch with a lot of the as as happens right um I've lost touch with a lot of the 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 lads that I would have been going to Bristol with, like I don't really see them very much anymore. So it probably would have been, yeah, I think it would have been a bad decision to to, to go to Bristol. But at, at the time, you know, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Like every time you you move to a new, um, yeah, whether it's school or university, you always want to go where your mates are going. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the mission, yeah,
2: yeah. And you you found yourself doing things like stand up comedy and, and and different things and. Obviously when you were doing the maths, they might have been surrounded by a lot of people who are quite introvert and didn't come out the shell much. Did you always find yourself getting into things that maybe lent itself to broadcasting and, and being on the telly and radio and those type of things?
0: Um, well, I, I so I, I got into uh, a like a not a lot of trouble, but a bit of trouble at school. Uh, and, and definitely had to um, leave one school. <laughs> um <laughs> Because uh, I, I just, I just really loved trying to make people laugh, um, and was disruptive as a consequence. And um, and then when I when I went to went to uni, there was a comedy club there, and uh, and I and it just felt like it was uh, this is great. It's like a legitimate outlet for me to stand up in front of a group of people and try and make them laugh. Uh, and so I, you know. Tried out the first week I was there, did sort of a yeah stand up set. Didn't really know what I was doing, but it was quite fun and people laughed and and then did that a bit more. And really, um, yeah, I, I didn't do masses of it, but I did I did uh, enough to give uh, give myself a sort of taste of it, I suppose. Um, and that I think probably is the first time that I thought, oh, okay, may, maybe something sort of performative or you know communicating to people would be would be a job that I might be suited to and, and and enjoy um but even when I even when I came out of uni I still didn't I don't think I knew what I was well no definitely I definitely didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what my what what the next steps would be um it was only uh this this is this is um absolutely bizarre um but when i when i left uh to I moved into a house uh, back in uh, in in north london with uh four of my best friends from from uni uh and everyone else was was, was every, yeah everyone else was working and i didn't have a job so i was doing um uh, private tutoring um in maths and science to basically to you know rich kids um uh to get them through their, you know, GCSEs or A levels or whatever it was, um, and uh, one of the, you know, and this is totally random, but one of the uh, kids that I was tutoring uh, was the daughter of Ruby Wax, um, and so I, you know, I go to Ruby Wax's house, very nice, tutor, uh, tutor, tutor her daughter, and actually her son, who is called Max, um, Max Wax. But, oh. but, annoyingly, took the took the dad's name, so he was actually called M- Max of suddenly. Else, which I was always I was, you know, very vexing. I mean, if you, that's that's an open goal, guys. Come on, Max. <laughs> <tracks>. um,
2: <laughs> Middle uh, nephew, <Navy>, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, she uh, and I, I, I sort of, chatted to Ruby a, a couple of times, got on with her quite well, and she said to me, um. Uh, oh what are you what are you doing with your life um and I said I don't really know I sort of had vaguely thought about tv um and she said oh have you applied for any graduate trainee schemes at tv production companies I didn't even know they existed um so I went away had a look applied for a graduate trainee scheme and got on a graduate trainee scheme at a production company and that's how I started out in telly but genuinely I think it's it's possible that if Ruby Wax hadn't said to me what you should have liked, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'd be doing now, but not, possibly not TV. <laughs> oh, there you
2: go. I wasn't expecting to, to hear that we, you owe your career to Ruby Wax t- today. But no, um, no, there I we think go. A work. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I'm 28, so I very much remember T4 and, and those type of shows. So, how did you adapt to first being on television?
0: Um, well, oh, it sort of it happened quite gradually. Um, so I started out. with My first sort of proper presenting job was on um, E4 when E4 during the daytime uh, was like a music channel. Um, it's called E4 Music, and I and me and George Lamb and a girl called Sarah Hendy were the were the sort of launch presenters for that. And we had we were doing quite a lot. Um, you know, it was got a lot of work to to do It's quite a lot of content hours to fill uh, and it was great it meant that we we were you know working loads uh, but also it felt sort of relatively low pressure because I don't think I don't think that many people were watching firstly and secondly it was just before social media really took off so the, the the kind of I feel like now it's much more uh, possible to be very aware of being in, in the public eye because there are so many um, routes for people to contact you and say stuff to you, and that just wasn't the case when I was starting out. And I think that was a good thing. Um, and then, and then gradually, you know, then I started doing T4, and that 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 you know was definitely much higher profile, um, and and definitely more people had sort of. Recognize you in the in a in a pub or whatever, um, but it was it was kind of it, it was okay. Like I, I'm really really glad that I didn't sort of start off when social media was thriving like it is like it is today. I think that would be much much harder because you know being honest, you you start out probably not very good. Like I think I think if I were to watch back old tapes of myself, I, I'd find it horrific. Um, and I'm certain that the public would have been keen to express that to me as well. <laughs> uh, uh, but it didn't, it didn't really it didn't really happen like that, which is, um, yeah, it's just quite lucky, I think.
2: And, uh, well, we reached out, I think Danny reached out to you via Twitter, if I'm correct. Yeah. What is your relationship like with social media? Are you somebody who's constantly on it, is he happy to put the phone down and walk away from it? Do you, do you look at comments about yourself? How do you deal with social media?
0: Um, I, I think I, I use Twitter quite a lot, but again, not as much as I used to. I used to really enjoy Twitter and I think Twitter is still quite useful and quite funny. Like I I follow a lot of funny people on Twitter and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's enjoyable to, to, to browse through. Um, but I definitely do it less than I, than I, than I was. Um, I don't really don't really use Facebook don't use Instagram very much like I, I, I find it a bit um, it can just it can just suck you in for, 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 for too long and and I, I'm definitely you know guilty of just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, scrolling unless I am very sort of strict with myself and so I just try not to let that let that happen um, and uh, you know it, it's such a curious thing about the human psyche, isn't it? And I'm sure that people would have said this to you to you before is that, and, and I'm sure you feel it, that you, you can read, you can read 50 nice comments about yourself, but it's the one that is uh, that isn't nice that that sticks with you and and that you you fixate on. And and I wish that I wasn't like that, but I am, and I know a lot of people are. Um, uh, and that, that sort of negativity, you, you, why would you welcome that into your, in, into your mind? Uh, and it's, it's really, it, but it's sort of, this is sort of addictive as well. And I used to, and I really don't anymore, I used to really engage with people who, who slag me off, um. Because I thought I think I justified it to myself I thought it was funny to engage and now I'm not so sure that's why I was doing it I, I always wanted to try and win them round and you're very unlikely to win big round if I don't like it I don't like it and that is fine um, but I would really you know just try and sort of yeah convince them actually I was quite quite a nice guy um, and I don't that that's a that's a fool's errant, like it's, it's silly like you, you just wait you, you absolutely wasting your time um yeah. i think i have got better at that um in that i don't do it anymore
2: no I, I completely agree and it is something we've discussed on before that it is impossible to avoid those comments that are negative mm. despite scrolling past 50 positive ones as you quite mm. rightly said how do you deal with scrutiny of the public and the media? Living in the public eye, have you got better with it with time, or as your fame's grown, has it become more difficult?
0: Um, I, I think I think i probably got uh, more comfortable with it generally, and and that that has probably come from me feeling more. Comfortable with who I am as a broadcaster. In that, um, like I, I sort of like I do what I do, and my tone is my tone, and uh, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything wild, wildly different. And I think that it's okay. And I also know that it's not going to be for everyone, and that's fine. Um, and I think when earlier on in your career you're much more or I was much more worried about trying to get everyone to like you trying to work out you know which bits of what you do are working and and I've uh, and I think i on the whole um I don't know if I say I'm stagnating um but <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> not, I don't think there's going to be a huge evolution of my um of my sort of presenting shtick uh, if you know what I mean, <laughs> I think it, this is this is it now. This is what I've got. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, and that and that's and that's just going to have to be okay. <laughs> it's going to have to be good enough. Uh, but I think that the, 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 sort of the, the fame thing is really is, is fascinating. Because I think if I'm really honest, initially that the, the, there was a, there was a sort of an appeal, and I probably would have denied it, but I think that there was it did it just seemed quite cool like, the idea of being famous, like that that there's a there's a there's a cachet and an excitement to that isn't there um but then once you get you know and I'm not on, on the scale of fame I'm pretty low down but uh once you get some fame you realize that um it's I mean it's just not great like I, I, I really like I, I couldn't sort of emphasize this enough being famous is not the good thing the good thing is that you you, you have a fun job uh, and sometimes you'll get paid well and uh, you get to go cool places and meet interesting people that that sort of, but actually sort of being famous um is is I mean that that's rubbish like you, you sort of want like that. that's the one bit that you don't want Like you don't it isn't yeah. it's not fun to be um you know shouted at in in the street by someone who doesn't know your name but does remember that you did a show called t4 10 years ago uh you know that that's not you know that, that is not fun yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, i know that there's no way of sort of separating them um but uh but yeah I don't. If if there was a way, if I could sort of do do my job exactly as I as I do now, and everything stayed the same, but no one um, ever uh, sort of recognised me, oh, I would bite your hand off. <laughs> 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 Incredible.
2: It's, it's funny, really, isn't it? Because people are rubbish at seeing famous people as well. So when they see them, they kind of just panic and just shout something random like, You're that fellow off the telly, and you're like. What are yeah. you meant to do with that bit of information? <laughs> Turn around and say, "Yeah, that's me. Uh, do you want to go for a pint?" Like, what that's... are you meant to do? I've I've,
0: I've I've never I've never worked out what the what the right thing to do is. I don't think there is a right thing to do. I think you just have to sort of grin and bear it. Um, and always, I mean, you know, it's it's sort of pretty obvious. But just even if it's winding you it up or you don't want to do it. Don't 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 snap at people because people aren't me That on the whole, unless someone's actually, but it's never. I mean, it's never happened to me. I don't think but like where in, in the way that it does happen online, people are never mean to you in in real life. That's right. Like that's just that just doesn't happen. Um, and so people are only ever really quite sort of excited, um, yeah. or just a bit bemused because normally with me actually, it's, it's normally bemused because I can never quite work out. Um, if they do know me or how they know me. <laughs> it's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic level of French beer. at. <laughs> uh, people are like, I know you, I've got no idea how. And and now my absolute the conversation that I think I have most with people, and it's mortifying, is where people go, What have I seen you on? And you go, Ah, oh, well, I don't I don't know. Uh, and they're like, well, no, no, go on. What, what would it have been? And I end up genuinely just having to sort of list my CV. And there is nothing more um, <laughs> humiliating than listing your CV to someone who has approached you. And after everything you say, then going, no, no, that. No no, 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 no. And you're going, well, I, 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 this is it. This is all I've got. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it's better than mine. I, I went on Soccer and with Danny on a, uh, we, we went on a. So like when they have the fans on, tram you're looking yeah. for fans. Yes. And Danny scored two goals on that game at the end, and I missed all mine. And I was walking into a pub, and some lad just looked at me and went, "Saw so you on telly? You shit at football." And I was just like, "Cheers mate, that's great." Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, that can be my claim to fame. So yeah, that's, that's it's brutal, um, right. brutal.
0: It's brutal at the end of soccer, I am. You just wanna, oh you just wanna net, don't you? Just, well, how, well, how
2: you how you list what you've been on, I could list all my excuses, wrong footwear, it was slippy, the throw wasn't right, but tie, the t- keeper made two good saves, but uh, yeah, there we go anyway. We'll, <laughs> we'll move on from my terrible volleys. So and, and I think you made a great point before about sort of fame pre-social media and post-social media, because I never really thought of that, and it, it, it's quite interesting really, because if you do snap at anybody now or you, you do maybe get a snippet to something online which may be taken completely out of context it's quite a dangerous place to be in really and you probably always have to keep your guard up to a degree uh, because you never really know who's watching and and how they're going to sort of take a situation with a with a camera everyone carries a camera on them now and present that to the rest of the world how do you sort of guard from that and sort of second sort of two questions in one how do you sort of maintain your mental health in general around being Rick Edwards, the, the person on TV, the author, the broadcaster?
0: Um, so I think the first thing is, um, yes, you, you probably do have to try and maintain your best behavior at all times, if you are in the public or if you are, you know, posting online or whatever. But I, I actually, that, that side of it doesn't strike me as being a, a, a bad thing, because ultimately it's just encouraging you to be a, like a better person, I think. Like, uh, the, 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 the sort of rule of thumb is, if you're always being a, a good person, then you, you, won't have any, you won't have any problems there. Um, and if that's what it is encouraging people to do, then great. Clearly, it isn't encouraging most people to do that because you go on Twitter and it's, You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bile. Um, but so I, I sort of, I'm pretty, um, pretty happy with 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 that uh, side of it. Um, and then in terms of my own mental health, like I, I, I always remember my like years and years ago my dad saying to me and it really stuck with me because it is absolutely true and my dad, you know my, my dad had a garage and uh you know sold tires and he, he doesn't know anything about tv or you know what, what I do it's not a world that he's familiar with but when I first started he said I guess the difficult thing will be that if you are having a bad day or you've just had some bad news or whatever but you have to go on live TV. You have to go on live TV and behave like everything's fine. And I think that is that's the that's the tricky bit of it. Is that obviously we're all going to have you know some some peaks and troughs, and sometimes those troughs will coincide with you working and and uh, me. You know, for me, that is me you know, on, on camera chatting to people or, or doing whatever is undoing and you, and you have to, um, you've got to conceal the other stuff that might be going on. You have to find a way to kind of put that to the back of your mind or, or, or switch it off uh, temporarily. And I think, I've got, um, I think I've got better at that. It's not, it's not easy, it's not easy, um, but it is possible um oh you kind of you could probably ask a question about whether whether that is um whether that is the right thing to do or or actually the more sort of authentic approach would be um to be a bit more open and say i'm I'm, you know i'm having a bit of a tough tough time or, or this thing has just happened but i don't know that that feels pretty um that feels quite quite difficult, and I think probably there are some shows where where you could you could get away with that, um, possibly. Um, so so yeah, it, it, it it's uh, it's funny, isn't it? It's it's it, it's a funny one. You kind of have to have a you have to have a sort of mask that you put on. I think that that is true of most most jobs and most workplaces. It's just maybe be um, a bit more intensified if you are. Yeah
2: on television know, or on the radio. I know when we ask these questions, you're, you're answering them from your, your own point of view, but mm. somebody who's been involved in television and, and live TV, and when you talk about those scenarios you've just mentioned, mm. do you think it's more likely that a man would just crack on and get on with it than maybe a female co-star or a female employee who might be a bit more open about it? It's and-
0: a good question. Um, i i I mean the the honest answer is i don't know um i think in my experience i've never really seen anyone kind of let on in 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 that way male male or or female however probably behind the camera and behind the scenes and you know in, in 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 production meetings or, or, or whatever, maybe, maybe uh, women would be more likely to, to say something. Um, I, I so th- what, what, what has occurred to me before is, uh, I've got much better, I think, at expressing my emotions, uh, and largely thanks to my wife, who is very, She's just uh, she comes from a family who are very open and very uh, very honest and and just just really they're just really good at it, and that that's not really how I am or or how my family is, Um, and and it and genuinely what it used to be that when my wife would ask me to talk about stuff, I felt like I just didn't have. I didn't know how to express it. Like, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the, um, the, the facility to do it, even if I wanted to. I just didn't know how. And I, and I, I sort of, you know, and this is just a hunch. I, I wonder if somehow um, men are more likely to lack the tools to express themselves in, in an emotional way than, than, than women. And I don't really know where that comes from or, or, or why that is, but I, I've, it's such a, um, uh, I still find it difficult to express my emotions, but it's such a relief that now I know that I, 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 I can still, I still have to push myself, but I can, I, I, I can do it. And it's yeah. obviously, it's obviously a good thing.
2: Yeah, no, it that, that is hugely relatable, not just to myself, but probably to a lot of the people who listen to this podcast as well. I mean, my girlfriend's a midwife, and she often mm. has very difficult days in work, but she has no issue coming home and talking about them. Um, mm. And you can actually see the look of relief on her face after she's got through the conversation because she just wants to, she just wants to say and let it all out. And then yeah. equally, when the shoes on the other foot, it, it men just don't do that. We just kind of go or it'll pass it'll pass and there's a lot of emphasis at the moment on talk more or it's okay to not feel okay and I think we're at a position now where everyone realizes it's okay to talk more the difficulties yeah. men don't know how to <laughs> it's,
0: it, it, exactly exactly that um and yeah that that's why I think this is you know this is such an important podcast because it's just it is encouraging exactly that isn't it it's just saying how you know even if you accept that yes, we we do need to talk more, then then how do you do it? Like what? Mm. Like what are the what are the words you should be using? How can you sort of get in touch with your emotions and express them in a way that is is going to be useful and uh and positive um, for 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 you and and the people around you? And it's not you know we're not taught it, are we? We're definitely not taught it. No,
2: and I think biologically and evolution point, point of view, it probably drilled in us to not show it as well. And it's sort of getting past those hardware factors to a degree as well. It's probably seen as a weakness when it should probably be seen as a strength, but I think I think we are trending in the right direction for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's an interesting one really. And I suppose for the last nine months, it's been very difficult for a lot of people with the pandemic, being at home, um, yeah. When people have obviously had job insecurity, money anxiety, those type of things, how have you? I mean, other people have gone the other way. To, to be fair, instead of enjoying being at home and spending more time with loved ones, etc. How, how has your experience been these past nine months?
0: Um, I think um, it's been okay. Um, I think that the fact that you know it's just been me and me and my wife at home. Um, there's definitely elements of that that have been really nice. Um, but because, she, I mean, she she has, she's an actress and, and writer, so similar kind of uh, area to me, and it means that we are at home together quite a lot anyway. So it wasn't like a big... I know that for some people that was quite tough because it put a bit of a strain on you because normally you're out of work and then you'd sort of see each other in the evenings, but you know. Being t- together the whole time it can be quite for long, but we're relatively used to that. Um, I think it was it was uh, it was certainly not great from a from a work point of view, um, and that's the that that's probably the, the single um, single biggest thing that I uh, don't like about. You know, what I what I do is that we, I, I will never have job security, you know. Uh, or, or, well, it's unlikely. There's very few, unless, I suppose, unless I do a radio, like, uh, yeah, I guess a, a regular radio show would, would, would be that. But there's not that many regular radio shows out there not given that you you're ever going to get of one etc by and large no job security and even if you uh, I, there are so few people in my my line of work i think who are absolutely set and know that there'll always be work or that they've done enough work that they, they probably don't really need to work anymore anyway um and and it's funny because i like I, I like i think i've, I've done pretty well I'm I'm nowhere near that like I I, you know if I so if I look at my diary right now I don't have a a single bit of work and there is nothing in there and that's quite a regular it's quite a regular occurrence and you just have to kind of hold your nerve and be like something something will crop up but you never know and uh, you sort of want that to get easier you want to be better at dealing with the, the insecurity of it, and um and I and I'm I'm not actually like it, it always like it does yeah just thinking about it now it stresses me out, um and that was magnified in in lockdown of course because yeah, there was no there was no filming I, I was doing one radio show one, once a week over lockdown which was which was great because it gave me some semblance of structure, um, but uh yeah that there the was a real yeah just kind of um uh yeah i guess i I mean basically sort of money worries but more than that just sort of work work worries um and i think i attach quite a lot of um my um self-identity self-worth to work and so if i'm not working um it's a bit harder uh for me to sort of figure out what my purpose is, I think. Mm. Sounds a bit sort of uh, highfalutin, but it's, it's something like that. There's, uh, I, I definitely, I'm definitely happy, even if, even if, you know, in a, in a kind of uh, micro level, you know, work's a, a bit difficult or a bit annoying, or this isn't going well. In a macro sense, I'm always happier when I'm working. I just sort of feel more, um, yeah. you know, like, like myself.
2: Yeah, I think structure removes a lot of anxiety for for everybody and second, you remove that structure. I mean, when we speak to a lot of former footballers or any sports stars on here, the most difficult period of their career is retiring, even if they're they're financially secure because they're no longer such-and-such the footballer or such-and-such the athlete. They're suddenly, what, who am I? I'm just ordinary me, which is very difficult for them. And what you said there made made a lot of sense. Did, Did you... Sort of no, way. Without so sounding,
0: sorry, can I just in, in, interrupt and say um, uh, sorry for interrupting first of all <laughs> um, uh, but also that with with footballers I think it must be so hard because they are largely infantilized and you know a lot of them from such a young age that their whole life is football and they are particularly now they are told what to do and where to be and what to eat and what to say. Like everything is so, is so regimented, so controlled that then to get cut loose from that, I mean, it's like the ultimate structure being mm-hmm. football, isn't it? Like you, yeah. you there's, there's nothing like you, you, what, when you go on holiday, that's probably the only time when you're, when you're left to your own devices, the, the, the rest of the time you are, you are, Molly coddled, and I don't mean that in a in a pejorative way. Just like you are looked after because you're a very valuable product, yeah. um, and then and then you're just um, and then that ends. I mean, it must be insane. Like I don't know how anyone copes with it. Really, really difficult. I think.
2: Yeah, it's um, you're exactly right, and I think it's still a, a question football is trying to answer. Yeah. So Post care of career and. Mm-hmm more than just a pension like what 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 is your involvement now I mean some people might not want to be spoiled or them to property or whatever but there's some people out there that have known nothing else since they were eight never really put an emphasis on education or anything else and all of a sudden in your mid-30s we're not talking about in your 50s or 60s when you're close to the time anyway you've got like half of your life or more left it, it is quite a conundrum
3: really Rick, you, 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 we did an interview recently with um, Dr. Catherine Mannix, and one of the uh, things that we we spoke to her quite a lot about, which obviously kind of ties in with the sort of mental health, depression, suicide stuff that we often talk about, is a, she was quite, obviously, given what she does, she was talking about people being uncomfortable, asking uncomfortable mm-hmm. questions and trying to get better at that. How do you kind of approach those type of situations? Obviously, given your job, you're quite used to asking people questions and being involved in conversations. Do you find that more natural or is it still something, even though it's your kind of your job in a way to ask people about their lives, do you still find that quite difficult?
0: So this... Happens more for me in a, on the radio, I think, than it does in, in in TV. Like I'm more likely to be talking to people about sensitive issues, uh, difficult issues. Because um, uh, Catherine Manick she's um, she, she's amazing. She wrote the book about dealing with death, didn't she? Yeah,
3: that's yeah, it. She's, yeah. she's
0: great, and that that book's amazing. Um, and I guess it's just about. Um, trying to be sensitive to how how people are feeling which i think we all are instinctively anyway um, and just being very aware of um how much someone wants to say about a a difficult subject um, but i think on the, I mean, again, it's slightly self-selective, isn't it? If if I'm talking to someone on the radio, they've already agreed that they're going to talk about the thing. Um, that's still you still need to tread carefully, of course, but you've you're you're past the barrier of does this person want to talk about this? Because uh, yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. Um But it's sort of uh, I, I I I like it when you get the sense that you're allowing someone to say something that they've wanted to say, but haven't really had the, the, the opportunity to, Um, I think that's a really, it's it's a really nice feeling personally, if, if you can, um, if you can foster that in a, in in, in a conversation. Um, And I, I mean, this, this doesn't necessarily just apply to um, talking about, difficult subjects like you know depression or, or grief or whatever but for me as a presenter the most important thing that i have to say a lot of presenters aren't very good at weirdly is listening i so often I'll, I'll i'll be listening to an interview and the the interviewer is just going through the questions that they've decided that they're going to ask as opposed to being reactive and responsive to what the person is saying. So the most valuable thing is if if, if the conversation is going off in a different direction, within reason, allow that. That's a good thing, like a, a let, let it orga- develop organically rather than trying to, and it's not always possible, of course, if you've only got five minutes, for example, five minutes with a politician, you've got to ask them these five things. You sort of got to do that, I get that. But generally, if you can just be, um, yeah, a bit more fluid, um, it's, it, it always makes for a, for, a, for a much better conversation, like genuinely listen to what the person is saying and, and, and respond to that. Um, I mean, it's kind of related. I mean, this is, a, this is, this is in itself tangential, sorry. Um, but uh, there's a lot of presenters <laughs> who I think just genuinely don't like people, which I find... Um, absolutely mad, because uh, why would you? Why would you choose to do a job, wh- which is just about talking to people, where you don't like people? But there's lots of them. Um, uh, yeah, biz- bizarre, bizarre. Why would you do it to yourself? Um, whereas personally, um, I love jacks. People, like this, um,
3: yeah, that's when I feel most sort of uh, um, at ease and, and, al- and alive, if you like. Have you ever? Um... Have you ever found yourself in a position where you've maybe gone down? Or there's been one of those sort of tangents the conversation's gone, and you've almost felt a bit like I'm I'm not sure whether I I, I should be privy to this, or you know, like y- you almost feel as though someone's opening up, but maybe they're in a vulnerable position, and because you're obviously in a in a broadcast mm. sort of space, have you ever felt like how do I kind of manage this kind of difficult ground that maybe they weren't expecting to go down you know sometimes people kind of just get a bit swept up in it yeah Uh, yeah yeah
0: um i i don't i can't think of a of of an example of, of that actually but i know exactly what what you mean where you might almost inadvertently encourage people to sort of share more than they than they hope to uh, and I guess again that's just like if that did happen to me and, and, and it's it's sort of quite easy to imagine, I think the important point is to again just to be really uh, really aware of what the, of what the person is, is is saying and just be like properly properly engaged and almost, you know, all, all my, I think I would probably just just flag it to them pretty pretty directly and just say, um, you know, something along the lines of, are you are you happy talking more 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 about this, or, or shall we, or, or give effectively just give them the option to get out of there. I think yeah. is quite um, a, a sensible thing to do. But I haven't, yeah, I genuinely off the top of my head anyway. I can't remember a, um, a, a case of that, so I don't know exactly how I would how i would respond but i think yeah an option to um move away from from a difficult area is probably is probably the best thing
3: yeah i often um, i mean we we did a we had an episode that we did about george best quite recently Mm -hmm. and so in 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 kind of preparation for putting that together i was watching some of the videos of when he was on television back in the Mm -hmm. sort of 90s and Mm -hmm. there's the there's the one when he's on with wogan when he's 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 basically plastered, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then there's an interview with Wogan on, I think it's GMTV, and he's talking about that interview, right? And the whole like it's one of those things where you feel like it's kind of very telling that the, the actual clip of of George Best because I think it kind of demonstrates exactly what the yeah. problems were and and how societally we it was being dealt with. Yeah. But equally, you just it's so hard to watch because you think there's such a vulnerable person being put in that position that I mean I've been watching loads of obviously Diego Manatona stuff recently and he's kind of the same really that you've got no control over it and people end up in positions that they, they that they shouldn't yeah. be in for. And it's it's supposed it's where that line between what's entertainment and then what becomes voyeurism. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah and and, and I think also, yeah, so much of that is about the people surrounding those vulnerable individuals who are then putting them them in positions like that because you know difficult as it as it might be if your client is in a in a bad place just pull them from that interview like just 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 get them out of there and 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 then you deal with the consequences and that that doesn't i don't think that happens as much as it as it probably probably ought to um and and you know it is the you know Maradona, I think we all knew beforehand anyway, but it's really writ large now. It's such a such an icon in our in Argentina like it, it's sort of almost impossible to to overstate. Um, and when you get to that kind of level, so many people want a piece of you and that that's just. Uh, I don't know how anyone can can deal with that, and that's when you really, really need um, some people around you who can who can keep an eye on you. Yeah, and I don't think those people are always there.
3: I heard a story where somebody said that um, Julius Caesar always kept somebody around that used to tell him all the time, "You're not a god. You're not a god. You're not a god. You're not a god." And they were saying basically, "Maradona never had that, so he started to believe that he was a god, and then his his behavior kind of." Yeah. spiral from there one yeah. thing that, that obviously that that kind of moves me on to the, the next question i was going to ask and this is obviously to a lesser extent but i, I read an interview that you did which was in i think it was in heart it was it was either on heart so it was on their website and it was about aftercare for people who were on um reality tv shows and and i suppose it, it's it's kind of you know in, in a way sort of the same sort of thing in so much as that 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 you know that cautioning almost needs to be there for people who come out of those right. environments. And there have been on Love Island, for example, there have been three quite high-profile suicides in the in the last few years. As mm. somebody who obviously you work in that industry, and, and mm. so you know what goes on, good and bad, in those things, and and can see kind of both sides of it, I would imagine. How did you, how do you react when news like that comes out? Is it something that makes you, does it make you step back, or is it surprising? Is it not surprising?
0: Yeah, it's not as surprising as you would want it to be. Um, I think that reality TV is obviously very new. You know, only been you know like less than twenty years, really. I guess Big Brother was the first sort of show where it was um, like what we have now, and. I mean, I just don't think anyone can prepare for the experience of coming out of a show like uh, A Love Island. You know, you're going from um, total anonymity, which is what most people have, to really like a a very intense and specific sort of fame Mm. and money, and then that for most people crashing away again and and so few people have experienced that um you know i don't i mean i think you know if if i was if i was kind of gonna try and put together the kind of aftercare package i think what i would be doing is desperately trying to speak to as many of the people who have actually been through it to see to get them to talk to people um, that, that, that come out because the experience is I think so unique like I, I have absolutely no idea what that would be like you know I don't think any of us a, a, any of us can um, but you very clearly need to uh, su- support people um, The the other thing and I do believe that this is getting better is that when uh, when you are looking for punters uh, for you know contestants on your reality show, um, obviously everyone gets psych tested um, to make sure, well, to try and ascertain that they are going to be able to cope with the experience of being on your show, and that's great. But do I think that quite a lot of people who are quite close to not passing that psych test? end up on telly because maybe they are a bit more combustible maybe they are um a bit more unwieldy in terms of their sort of personality does that make good good television yeah i think so and 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 i don't really um it's not really a criticism of 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 anyone because if they've passed the psych test they've passed the psych test and you know you've done your duty of care but I've definitely, like, I've done a couple of shows with those kind of um, contestants. And, you know, some of them are just quite... You can just tell they're just quite fragile. And fragility is the last thing that you want to then go into dealing with the aftermath. Um, And I don't... um, And I, I, I do absolutely... Think that everyone in the TV industry, or particularly in that part of the TV industry, understands that they've got to try and do do better. And I don't think anyone has done anything uh, that no one's deliberately let anyone down. Um, but there is still a way way to go, um, in in my in in my view. Um, and I don't think that's I don't know. I'd be a particularly controversial because I think everyone would say, well, yes, we have to um, because got to look after
3: these 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 people um one um, one thing i always wondered about it is with people who were on like reality tv or or in kind of i suppose you'd probably put people like social media like influencers or whatever you would kind of people who were in almost people who were famous because they're famous if you know yeah. what i mean i often wonder if like with a with a sports person or an actor or a singer or like a, like a presenter like yourself you're famous because of the thing that you do mm. ha- comes with a level of fame whereas for those people who are famous because they're famous the the like the job is being famous if you see what i mean so there's not like you can't go you know if you're a football you can go like right well i'm just going to get me head down and train and concentrate on me football or if you you know an actor be like oh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go method and i'm gonna you know what i mean whatever it might be mm. whereas if you just If you're famous for being famous you have to keep doing the things that are difficult isn't it
0: yeah because that's your
3: that is the job
0: Mm. um it is is doing the things that keep you in the public eye and a lot of it quite sort of personally intrusive i think um because that's what people are you know in some sense i guess it's flattering like people are genuinely interested in in a lot of these people's lives and the details of their lives but pretty full on. Um and 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 what is the you know what is the what is the fallback position when you are, as you say, like the, you you're you're famous for being famous. You're famous because you're on this show. Like there's not a there's nothing to get hold of where you're like, ah, this person is good at this thing. Yeah. So that's that's slightly unfair. Some people absolutely like then go on to do stuff. But a lot of people, like the most I mean, heartbreaking stories, I think, are the ones where it's people who've been on a Love Island or whatever, and then, you know, the, 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 the little sort of 15 minutes, 10 minutes of fame has subsided, and then they, they go back to their old job, and then people take photos of them in their old job and kind of mock them. And you just mm-hmm. think, well, that is... That's the pits. Like, how, like it doesn't... But this what are they supposed to do? <laughs>
3: like, I know. Because like, if they, because if they, like, continue trying to, you know, yeah, yeah, the party they going, they'd get criticised for that as well, wouldn't they? They'd criticised for being
0: desperate and going to anything and all that kind of thing. But if you go back to your, you know, just not perfectly respectable, normal job, that everyone does, <laughs> then you also get criticised. Like, you sort of, you can't win. I mean, um, but, but, but does anyone? They probably do does anyone say that when they go on? Like, look, there is a chance that you will, you know, you'll shine brightly for a moment and then it will stop. And then you'll have to go back to your normal life. Are you you prepared for that? Um, Yeah, I'm sure someone is saying that, but it probably, you know, at the time, it's probably not going in
3: because you're so excited about, you know, (laughs) getting in the villa or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I was, see, I'd, I'd, It was one of the. It's one of those things, really, where I often wonder with, because I think the other side of it is, is people who were who go on those programs, if they then down the line go leave me alone, people probably go, well, why did you go on them? Isn't that what you wanted it for? So there's like a really, it's really difficult. People, I also think people have feel like a sense of ownership over celebrities as well, like that they belong to the public.
0: Well, particularly particularly that kind of celebrity, because as you say. You've signed up for a show and you know, unless you're, you know, one of the um, ones in the first Big Brother house, which was yeah. probably like, the first two series were the best series because these people just didn't, they, they, I don't know why they'd applied to do it, but they certainly weren't, they didn't have a knowledge of what was to come. Whereas now you do, you know why you're, you know why you're going on. You know, you're going to get your, um, you know, you're going to be putting out your get 20% off on Boohoo Man Instagram. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, it, but but does that mean that that you know we the public have ownership over them? I mean it shouldn't do, but it But it, I absolutely understand why people feel there has been a tacit acceptance by going on that show. But you should somehow be allowed to say that's that that's enough. Um, and I don't know if people are allowed to say
3: that. No, I don't either. I, I don't think we've kind of, I don't think we've understood how to deal with fame and celebrity yeah, as as kind of a society no. really
0: well it's still you know th- then this particular type of fame is just very new mm. it's really new um and and unlike any other sort of fame i think
3: yeah so it's almost completely based on people's personality isn't it rather than on any yeah. sort of talent or skill or or trade yeah. so to speak um, yeah yeah i uh, i'm i'm going to move us just onto onto the last section rick and and as I mentioned at the beginning, I love science-ish like so much, and like I think I was trying to remember before we did this where I first came across it, and I think I listened to an interview that you did with uh, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble uh, yeah. years yeah. ago. Uh, we had we did we had Luke Moore on the podcast actually as well, and, and 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 I'm sure that I bought your book after that interview, and then read the book on holiday. Didn't realise it was a podcast until I read the book and then listened to the podcast on, on the back of it. I, I I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's completely not even that interesting, but I just thought I'd regale you with the story of how I came across it.
0: Honestly, I could listen to people saying they enjoy my podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> sweet music to my ears. <laughs> no, well, it's it, it, great.
0: Right. I'm pleased
3: to hear it. Yeah, no, but it is. It's, it's brilliant. It's really, really great. I recommend this to everybody who asks me about reading anything or listening to anything i always recommend it so i suppose how did it how did it come about how did how did you end up paired with with dr michael brooks
0: uh so um purely by chance really uh i had uh for for quite a long time i'd wanted to try and do something because as i say i had always loved science but i'd never found any way of um sort of integrating it into my career and uh, no no broadcasters certainly were interested in me doing science because I, like I was like the div of youth uh, <laughs> on the table of telly which is fair enough um, but I did really want to do it and I also not only because I wanted to but I found it slightly uh, frustrating I think as a, as a viewer I just didn't really like very much science on, on telly and I still don't Truth be told, I find it quite um, quite dull. Mm. Like I, I I love science and get very excited about it. I also think it's quite funny. Um, and actually, if you go on YouTube, there's loads of great science content. But on telly, it's quite I don't know. I just find it quite dry. And um, and so I wanted to like find some sort of outlet where I could talk about science. With the kind of the excitement and the passion that I I have for it, without it just feeling very like reverential. Um, and uh, and and coincidentally, uh, my favourite sort of popular science book is by Dr. Michael Brooks. Um, and he, we were both uh, independently guests on uh, on George Lamb's Six Music Show, um, and then George, and so we sort of met through through that, and. Michael has quite a similar sense, it, it turns out, of, you know, really love science, doesn't particularly love what's out there about science. And so we kind of agreed that we could maybe do something that tried to capture what, what we wanted um, and how we wanted to talk about science. And then we just came up with this, um, with, with a, a production company, this this idea of a good way in being the uh, well initially it was the sort of the science big science questions that come out of films So we've kind of expanded it now to you know popular culture really so kind of be anything anything, um, cool, um, anything for
3: anything but theatre
0: anything never 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 a play <laughs> yeah. Although, do you know what? I'll give you I, I'll give you an exclusive here I just bought a copy I mean I won't go and see it but I bought a copy of the script. Of Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, because there's quite a lot of science in it, and I'm going to read it. And there is a chance—it's <laughs> not. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> <to remember it. laughs> uh, but yeah, anything, but by and large, anything but a play. Um, and it kind of—I think it works. I think that we, we, what we know, is that our listeners. Yes, some of them are people who listen to science podcasts and are science people, but quite a lot aren't actually. Quite a lot are just sort of, they, they like the way in, like they know the films or the books or the TV shows or whatever that we're talking about. Um, and then uh, I think the kind of, the tone of it is not, um, it's not exclusive. I don't think, you know, we really try not to um, shut anyone out. Um, like we, we chat about stuff in quite an informal way um, and it hopefully doesn't feel much like a science, like a traditional science show. Um, and uh, and
3: also to be honest, I just love doing it. Like that's and, and so does so does Michael. Really well, fine. I think that that's I think that that really that comes across. So I because I I'd assumed from listening it that you and Michael knew each other or had at least kind of had some kind of you know you'd cross paths in a, you know back in the day kind of thing. But
0: no, we we um we'd sort of yeah. I mean we we'd literally we'd met a couple of times, and it's just one of those things, and you can't. You, you know you can't cheat it you, you can't um you can't really manipulate these things so sometimes you get lucky and you do something with someone and you're immediately like this works like we we are uh, and we we just hit it off straight away and we um you know we're really we've annoyingly not made a podcast for various reasons for a year now um but we're hoping to get back in the studio very soon and we really miss it and we you know we we are in, like I mean, we're just mates now. Like we we chat a lot, um, and, uh, and and quite a lot about science stuff as well. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a very happy pair of geeks.
3: <laughs> were you um, surprised by the how popular it, it's become?
0: Um, well, I think uh it's <laughs> well, not to exaggerate how popular it is. I don't think it's like, hugely popular. <laughs> I think it's um, you know. It has a it has a, a good core of listeners. Um, we, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly not. <laughs> that's amazing. We actually know we've made a bit of money out of the books, not a lot, but a bit. We've never made any money out of the podcast, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like famously, um, well, not famously, but. Between me and me and Brooksy always say we are just not great business people. I don't know. I feel like we probably should have been able to make some money for the podcast, but we haven't. Anyway, doesn't matter. We love it. Um, but what's what is what has been really nice is that, by and large, when people do listen to it, they 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 do they they tend to like it, um, and we get really really lovely feedback about it. Um, and uh, that certainly is not true. Of everything that I do, <laughs> um, so uh, whereas science is just pretty, is, is pretty uniformly
3: well, well, well-received, which is,
0: uh, God, it's great.
3: Yeah, I can imagine because it, 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 I think that's the best thing about it. As you say, it's, it's a, the information is accessible in so much as like I, I'm not a science person, so I think I got a B in science GCSE, and that was the last time I, Like my, my, my girlfriend at the moment is doing an access course to go to uni, and she was doing, what was she doing the other day? Something about water potential or something or other the other day and she was asking me and I was like I don't even know what the words are I don't know what the words are and I said my mum's my, my a pharmacist so I said my mum is a chemist just phone my mum and she will like probably be able to explain to you so she said will you phone her so I rang me mum my mum was like I love your ice. and I was like is so she wants to ask you about water potential and then just left the conversation because I was like I don't know I'm just baffled by all of these words please stop asking me Cause, but when I listen to to science I do genuinely understand about seventeen percent of what's going on. So that I feel like that's a positive. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. Yeah, no,
0: that, that's and and honestly, that is that that's always been our, our aim. I think it's just to try and um, yeah try and make it accessible, particularly to people who aren't necessarily sciencey. Like I don't, it shouldn't be. Like I do think that we we put some stuff in there sort of for ourselves. that I think is actually quite difficult mm. um, and maybe won't get understood by everyone, but I think that's okay. I think that's okay. As long as it's not, there's not too much of that. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, just getting, yeah, getting people listening to it who wouldn't seek out a science podcast that, that makes me, yeah, that makes me really happy. Um, yeah. That's that's all That's all we really
3: want to do. When you said there that you, that you hadn't made any money out of the podcast, I was thinking, Ryan's probably not going to come back here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling him, we'll make the big... Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying to Sophie, I say to my girlfriend, I just say, she'll say something and I'll be like, listen, don't be giving me shit about the dishes because when I make the big bucks, the podcast... <laughs> I said, look at Joe Rogan, mate, look at him go. And we're well better than him. So, you know, it'll be sound. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean,
3: I hasten to add...
0: I think it is more to do with our lack of business acumen than uh, podcasting in general. I know lots of people who, are, who are do heavily well at podcasting. I'm just not one of them.
2: <laughs> Neither are we. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yet,
3: yet, <correct. laughs> exactly. This time we'll be millionaires. Exactly. <laughs> like I keep telling you that. Welcome back to my Mark, and I've still got Ryan and Ant in the virtual studio. Before the episode, did we we obviously told you our theme which was the reality of fame and making your parents proud um one of the things that that we talked about one of the things that i mentioned was maybe about how different fame can be when you actually get it compared to what people might think it might be and i think for the most part i think there is a desire for a lot of people to kind of maybe chase fame or at least have it as some kind of goal or for at least to be some kind of you know something that that, that, that people would aspire to um We were talking off air about some of the issues that social media influencers and and celebrities from shows like Love Island that we discussed with Rick have had in the recent weeks with their trips out to Dubai and some of the backlash that they've got from that, particularly as the, the third lockdown has started. Ryan, one thing that you mentioned to me kind of off air was about the thing that Rick mentioned that his dad said to him about when you go onto live TV or live radio, and if you are someone who's had... A bad day, or is having a low mood, or is you know going through something difficult. You've then got to put all that to one side to basically play that character that's 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 on the TV. And whilst you know, for a lot of people, that may apply in day-to-day work. You know, you you might have you know we've spoken before about putting on a mask. It must be particularly difficult for somebody who's got to go on and basically perform as as their job. Absolutely, yeah. Because as you
2: say, if you're not consistent in your approach. I think people pick it up because you're watched by so many. Um and I think I think you might have mentioned this on the podcast, and that people feel like they almost own celebrities or broadcasters. And when there is a, a shift in in how they behave, I think people pick up on it right away. So I imagine that that plays on the mind a little bit that I've always got to be at a hundred percent. I've always got to give ten out of ten. And I think that's quite dangerous really because you end up just Pushing things to the back burner and probably thinking I can just deal with this because I put my game face on, I go out there and I perform and in reality it might then reach breaking point because you've had to wait till you've snapped before you've actually tackled it and you see, we've seen it before haven't we where people take an extended break off air, maybe that could be prevented if it was dealt with sooner. Talking about the comments his dad made, and um, what I found quite interesting about that is it started with him telling us about his dad not really understanding the industry he was going into, but then that piece of advice was probably, arguably, one of the most poignant pieces of advice he's ever received, and obviously something that stuck with him, because I'm not sure if he's ever mentioned that to anyone else before, but when we asked the question, it was sort of the first thing that came into his mind, so I I do find that, that very interesting, and I think <clears throat> what Rick said was, if he could have his job without fame or being famous and recognisable, he would. Uh, and he also talked a lot about how making his parents proud. So I think when you look at Rick in isolation, he does what he does more out of the love of it, more than being a fame chaser. But what I would say is he was very aware of it and aware of the industry he's in and the insidious implications of not being of the right characteristics to deal with the outcome of fame. Now Rick's probably somebody who is on our televisions not because he's applied for a show or anything like that. He's on our televisions because he, he's been hand selected for certain roles um, and he's found himself in that in that career. But he did talk also about how when people go onto these site ch- uh, when the people go onto things like Wolfville Island, the different shows, they are site tested. But some people are very borderline. Yeah, and yeah. he described them as combustible. I think was the word he used and that makes good television so if you have anybody who's too straight down the middle who's a bit pragmatic maybe a bit reserved they're not going to make good television but they might deal with the outcome of television a little bit later so if you're a tv production company you kind of want somebody who's going to get your viewing figures and the people who are going to get your viewing figures are often the most vulnerable and um, most people who get sidetracked by fame or sidetracked by social media so I think it's interesting. I think similar to when we've talked about it in football, it's something that we're still trying to figure
3: out. Yeah. Um, well, like I thought say- I thought that was something you said in the interview that was really interesting, Ryan, where you were saying, I don't think as a society, we've kind of come to terms with understanding the implications of fame and, and what it can do to people's kind of psyche and their, mm-hmm. their ego. I suppose then, reflecting on that interview and reflecting on some of the things that Rick said, w- would you... Would you have you got a different perspective on fame, or have you got a different perspective on maybe because you know, I think we'd all be, we'd all be, uh, a, I think we'd all be in the same position as m- most people would be to say that at some point in our lives, we've probably thought about being famous and thought that, that would probably be quite cool to did, be you not,
1: did you not I, just I, think I, about being successful? Yeah, I
2: did. Well, that's I, what I, it I've is. Isn't it? That's what, no, horrendous. I mean,
1: like, so my view on it would be like most people think they want to be successful and most people want to be successful. And then some success comes with a lot of fame. But
3: well, the fame comes, different. I think the fame's different in a way because you can be massively successful and have no fame at all. But I suppose the fame is, it's the adoration that comes with the fame that I think is what's appealing. It's a, it's a really tricky,
1: tricky thing. I mean, I, I mean, even us putting this out here, like, it's a big step for us to go and, and, and put it out and have other people listen to it. It's quite nerve-wracking at times. It's quite mm-hmm. difficult. Certainly when you, you're interviewing the likes of Rick Edwards, who's been on the telly and interviewed all kinds of people when he was talking, and, and he's going to hear it in a quick fire when he's talking about those those actors and those famous people that he's he's interviewed. And you go, no, oh, but well, he's famous as well, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's really strange. Like, it's, 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 very, um, it's very odd, like... I, Having seen it from, from you know, being a, a general, you know, TV watcher, like I've watched Love Island and I've gone, uh, some parts of it are entertaining. Would I want to be there? Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I wouldn't want any part of that fame. Would I want to be a footballer and famous? Yeah. So there's parts of it where I kind of like, and there's parts of it where I'd be like, absolutely no way for me, N- not a chance. You know, I wouldn't want to be on Love Island, but would I want to be... You know, pictures taken of me after I've had an argument with Mick McCarthy in two thousand and two, walking my dogs. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> I think that would be quite good. So yeah, it's one of them. It's a, it's a really tricky. I, I, just think it's really, really tricky. I, I suppose you don't know what it's like until you get there, really. Yeah. But I do. I do think it is. You know, you can be like you said yeah maybe you can be successful without the fame yeah maybe. i suppose
3: i suppose i'm thinking about different industries i mean you could be like a really successful st- structural engineer yeah. uh, name me a really famous structural well, engineer
1: I d- well i don't know like would all you know all that i mean the tottenham is right am i right in saying it's tottenham stadium that would have been done by structural engineers wouldn't it they got no 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 they, they got
3: <laughs> dentists to do that actually funnily <laughs> enough reallocating of resources um, they,
1: they got they got pretty
3: famous for a while. Yeah, <laughs> but I suppose, uh, yeah, I suppose you could, you uh, like, like, like for for Rick, for example. And this kind of brings me onto the the next question I wanted to ask you both, and and particularly you, Ant, because I mean, Ryan and I, Ryan and I did the, did the interview with Rick, and it was something that I kind of felt as we were talking to him and as we were listening to him, and again, felt it when I listened back, I almost felt like Rick didn't give himself enough credit for the things that he'd achieved and the success that he'd had in his life. And that goes right back to, I mean, just just as a starting point, he was able academically to get into one of the most prestigious prestigious universities in the world, on one of the most prestigious courses in the world. and if, and And he kind of played that off as oh I'm just someone who's good at exams and 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 it, it kind of felt like some like like Einstein going yeah well I'm just quite good at maths No, don't worry about it I'm just someone who's quite good at maths and, but like I felt like he, he from that and then on to like the things he's achieved with his with television and and, and the books that he's written and 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 is really you know is the Scientist is an amazing podcast and it, and it, and it's something that he clearly really enjoys doing but it's something that that I think that he almost lots of stuff i felt like just being wanting to say to him like you give yourself more credit like the things you've achieved and you know the 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 pace the is the years and stuff and it was just interesting to listen to someone who's who's, as you say had that perceived success but maybe doesn't have the may, may, maybe you know it, it, it can be difficult to give enough credit to yourself and maybe you know i took from it maybe we need to be a bit kinder to ourselves sometimes and and and, and give yourself that pat on the back from time to time
1: yeah, absolutely. I think when you just said that back to me, there, I, I think it might have been because he was quite grounded. He's quite. He seemed quite a quite a grounded individual. I mean, to be honest, you know, anyone of that level of fame, um, you know, has been on television, has been, you know, got quite a lot of Twitter followers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. To come and talk to to you two muppets on a monday evening oh, it has to be has to be quite grounded um, <laughs> so, and i think i think that when he was it was when he was talking about when he was trying to mix with the with the people on that maths course um and he, he said I, I just couldn't it sounded like he just couldn't find anything interesting in, in anyone there hmm. which probably shows that he didn't he probably felt like he didn't really belong in that in that bit. Like he he had a little bit more to give, and you can see that in the fact that he's gone into probably what I can imagine be quite straightforward and dull area of of life, to quite an entertaining one, and very entertaining with some of the stuff he did on T4 and and, and the like, and what he does now. So you know, it. it I think he's. Um, I think he probably should give himself enough credit. I think I think he will give himself enough credit.
3: Maybe well, not I outward, just
1: maybe not outwardly, but yeah. there's probably that humble British element to it, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's,
3: well, I think you're yeah, right yeah. about saying he's grounded. I think that that's really true, and I think I, I do think that's that point that you make, whilst derogatory towards the, the standing of Ryan and, and 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 me as as broadcasters, um, <laughs> and I'm gonna use that word, but I, I, I think for someone to, you know, he he said he gets a lot of offers to do a lot of things, and the fact that he came onto us, which is just a an independent startup podcast that we do in our spare time. And the fact that he gave up, it was like more than two hours, I think of an evening to come and speak to us, as he's saying, he doesn't know us from at all. And, and I think that does show a lot about someone, but yeah, he's going to listen to this. So I, I, you know, I just thought that, you know, he's just someone I admire a lot and and really enjoy. And, And I just, you always feel with those people that they must be like, know that they're like brilliant, if you know what I mean. But even, even people who've had that success can eat, maybe play it down to themselves for one reason or another.
2: Jumping back to what you said, Dan, about, like, would you like to be famous? I mean, I think Rick's almost at that tolerance level of if you were going to be famous, it'd be his level, simply because, I mean, you wouldn't want to be as famous as Eugene Fig, the famous structural engineer. But <laughs> but um, he's kind of like, he gets to do the fun stuff. Do you know, he gets to... Sp- They'll go to probably a lot of award shows and meet famous people without being somebody who can't leave his house because he's Cristiano Ronaldo. But I found that when you were telling him how much you loved the stuff he did, he got almost like embarrassed as if somebody yeah. was like he, he, he was a genuine, humble nature that yeah. anybody who tells them they like what his podcast or his book, he, he wasn't like it didn't seem like something he gets told every day. Mm. So, I, I, when, I, when I think about it, I think he's probably, like, I, I personally would hate, hate, we all dream of going on Glastonbury and singing in front of 100,000 people, scoring a goal at Wembley. But actually being famous, I'm far too self-conscious to ever be want to be famous. But, as you say, it is an enabler to do with some amazing things that you just can't do otherwise. So, yeah. I, I feel like he's quite grateful that he can still go and buy milk and bread from the shop, but equally can interview Jake Gyllenhaal. in in like the same week. Do you see what I mean? And I think that's what's nice about him. He he hasn't lost touch with reality and he hasn't lost touch with the real world, but he does appreciate that. I'm Rick Edwards and I've done these things.
3: Yeah, it's probably like a healthy amount of fame. And he does mention as well in the interview where he talks about, we asked him, in fact, I don't think it was in the interview. I think it's in 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 the quick fire. We asked him about whether he's ever had, like, a spurious headline written about him in a tabloid newspaper. And he said, he kind of insinuated that if you wanted to explore that type of fame, then it's available to you if you want to, you know get your agent to do it so to speak and it's not something that he's ever bought into and i do genuinely think that he doesn't do it for the fame i think he does it because he likes what he does as much as anything else which is which is probably as you say where that grounding comes from but no i just thought it was i just thought it was it was interesting i know from personal experience that that i could certainly do with being kinder to myself and, and and it's just something i pick up on from from other people and yeah particularly with fame you can see how both ways, it can it can become quite a difficult thing for for people's mental health, particularly to, you know, that for the fame to become overwhelming, both in a, you know, in a in a positive way, in, in so much as if you're getting so famous and it's and there's a lot going on and, and you how can people handle that in their psyche it must be really difficult. But then equally, which is something that we talked about, was what do you do when that fame goes? What do you do when you've had it and you don't have it anymore? And then having to go back to in your air quotes normal life and what does that do to your Self confidence and to your ego and all the rest of it, and that must be really difficult. And it's probably akin to, in 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 a, in a in a slightly different way, when footballers retire and they have to, you know, from going from like Ryan said, scoring goals at Wembley or singing in front of ninety thousand people at last is whatever it is. What do you do when you don't have that anymore? And I know for for some celebrities, like we're talking people like off Love Island and what have you, they're never going to get to that level of fame, but. They'll come out of the villa and have hundreds of thousands of people following on their social media accounts, which, I mean, it it must just be crazy to to deal with. And, yeah, I think, like you said, Ryan, we haven't really kind of got to grips with what it means to be famous.
2: And just on that, he attached self-worth to not working. Now, ultimately, for to work as much as he can. He's probably going to be more in the public eye or more on our screens or more in our ears or whatever it may be. And I felt that was quite interesting. He started saying that he does have anxiety over lack of work, Not lack of work, sorry, work, coming up work. He's constantly got to find work. He hasn't got like a regular slot on anything. And most people would would probably be quite obnoxious to that and just assume always oh, Rick Edwards. He's made tons of money his career, can do what he wants, but you don't actually realise that these people don't. They could lose a contract or they could stop being on a show and they, they wake up in the morning with no job and, and bills to pay. And it, I don't think it's quite as glamorous as they think. But he talked about sort of, I think it was he's macro happy when he's working and micro happy when he's in that environment. And I thought that was quite interesting because he yeah. talked about what's my purpose. So I do think as well, if we're looking at it like from the, the mental health aspect, he dealt with that. I felt in a quite a typically manly fashion, which was, I just I bear that because it's my job and it's my role. And that's my anxiety to have it. It's not a problem, but yeah, I know I'm at my happiest when I've got a schedule full of work. And I think,
3: I'm I think, I think that you say there that the, the phrase you use there, is self-worth, right? I think that's, that's the most, mm. the most important part of this. And you don't, you, your self-worth doesn't have to come from your work. It doesn't have to come from, from, you know, having a, a great career or whatever it might be, but it, but everyone will have those things that are what give you self-esteem, and and a big thing with people talking about mental health and and, and a lot of stuff that, that will be talked about, I suspect, for people with therapists and 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 and, and different people of, of of that ilk up and down the country will be about re re-establishing your self-esteem, whatever that might be. And and Rick talked about it there, it it being about his work, and you can see how that could be understandable. That you know you 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 want to be you want to be busy, you want to feel as though you have a purpose, and have things to do and and I certainly imagine throughout the pandemic for a lot of people that's been something that people have have had to deal with and and found really difficult and and you know the three of us have all been in employment throughout the pandemic and we've mentioned at numerous points how grateful we are for that whilst there have been challenges that have come with that for, for for various different reasons I think we'd all thoroughly agree that having the job throughout the whole pandemic has been much better than not having a job throughout the pandemic or even being on furlough and and losing that, maybe losing that sense of self-wave must be really difficult. I think that's probably time for us to to wrap up, lads, and leave uh, leave the good listeners with Rick Edwards quick fire. We do have many, many more episodes to come over the over the next few weeks and months. The next episode will be out on Friday where we'll be speaking to Christian Walsh. Christian Walsh, formerly of the Liverpool Echo and uh, currently works for Reach PLC. Um, So that'll be really interesting. As Ant mentioned at the top of the show, if you do want to send us your thoughts, your themes, things you took away from the the episode, from Rick's interview, then please feel free to do so. Our email address is manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always find us on Twitter and our Twitter is at marking underscore man. And people should be using that hashtag. And Ant, what is that hashtag?
1: where's the talking lads
3: it's where's the talking lads so and ryan thank you very much for your time it's been it's been great to be back it's like putting on a, you know putting on an old coat that you haven't you found at the back of the wardrobe and you think I forgot i own that coat oh i pop it on it's lovely you know what it's like it's like
2: when you have the international break and then footy comes back after international
3: break pop can't agree with that because he loves international football
1: I adore international football. I'd rather just have international football.
3: And would watch Bulgaria versus Lithuania every night of the week if he could.
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah.
3: Look at him. Look at him go. Also watches cricket. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah, that, yeah, that is a good <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 leave now before this becomes a Scrap, of audio, young. scrap.
1: Okay, <laughs> I think I'm better you, leave right now. You, you could fade this out, but I watched some cricket today. It was great. Okay, Bloody yeah, drill. anyway. It was right, right. Here's,
3: here's, um, here's Rick Edwards' quickfire. We'll see you next week. <laughs> in fact, no, we'll see you on fucking Friday. Okay, Rick, you obviously hosted Tool Academy back in the day, um, in which a series of fellas would be duped into attending a charm school. Have you ever been fooled by a prank before?
0: I, I mean, that seems mad that I haven't. I can't think of
3: ever being properly
0: properly pranked.
3: I feel like getting you on ears feels like a bit of a dupe. Like we <laughs> we came, so we presented ourselves as serious podcasters, and then those two muppets turned up. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. This. Uh-
2: <laughs> it's dangerous to read off people's Wikipedia pages, but your state you have a, a very poor sense of smell due to hmm. sniffing ammonia while in school. Yes. Is this true? And why on earth did you do it?
0: <laughs> it, it is true. And I did it because uh, I wasn't really listening. Uh, the teacher said something about what will now be as uh, ammonium smelling salts. And I think I had a cold um, and I just heard ammonia <laughs> and uh, I just grabbed... You know that you'd have these bottles of like lab yeah. chemicals and I just inhaled from this bottle of ammonia and I have to tell you it was absolutely excruciating <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely grateful uh, and uh, yeah and, and then and then after that my sense of smell was you know all, almost wiped out and now it's like come back a bit like I just have a bad sense of smell now I'm like yeah. I'm not an osmic like I know I know some people who are an osmic and it's quite a serious condition. I'm just an idiot who <laughs> destroyed quite a lot of his nasal cells. <laughs> I
2: am. Uh, many years ago I was working in an office and I had it was in the middle of winter. So I had some obe soil on the sort of shelf. Mm-hmm. But I also had eye drops and without thinking picked up the soil and straight into my eye Whoa, no I man. must admit that's up there with the worst pain I've ever felt and I remember sort of fucking hell, right. if, if it was a film and you could see the drop in the air one of the colleagues turned around and just went fucking hell no <laughs> <laughs> and like it had already left it already left and it went straight in my eye and I didn't know what was going on I couldn't understand why Ah. I just thought, have I put too many in my eye? What's going on?
3: And right, you know when, when we're at the match yeah. and you... And I'm blind. You, you take my glasses off me so you can see what's happening when there's a corner at the other end. I now know why,
2: because... Yeah, you... it's probably Albus related, yeah.
3: Albus yeah. oil in the in the
2: eyeball? Yeah, yeah. It's like something off Jackass or Dirty Sanchez, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, actually...
0: Yeah, <laughs> use that um that mint sauce uh, shower
3: gel. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Healthy, old, uh, Fresh. That'll wake you up of a morning.
2: Yeah, quite a
3: tingle. Um, You hosted some political broadcasts during the 2015 general election. Mm -hmm. If you had to elect someone from the world of football to be prime minister, who would it be and why?
0: Oh, it's pretty easy, isn't it? (laughs) It's obviously Jürgen (laughs) Klopp because uh, I love him. But also... You, you, you get the, the feeling that he is a, a clever, engaged, um, thoughtful, and nice person. And, and, and when you, you know, occasionally he will get asked about political stuff. Um, and on the whole, asking um, people involved with football about political stuff is, is unfair and you don't get a good answer. He always answers well. Like it's kind of, it's it's sort of extraordinary, um, and, and partly, I don't know if it's, it's his his uh, his Germanness seems to seems to help. But I, I can I can absolutely imagine. Um, I don't think I don't think he want to do it, which immediately recommends you to do it in my yeah. opinion. Like the problem, that's that is the big problem with politics, in my view. All of the people that you think would be good and would be good don't want to do it. And all of the people that you think would be terrible end up doing it. Um, But I think Clock would not want to do it, and I think he'd be great.
2: Um, So the most embarrassing thing you've ever done on camera?
3: Within reason. (laughs) (laughs) What's not been leaked? (laughs)
0: There's
3: just just a
0: catalogue to to choose from, honestly. Again, I think I'm I'm lucky that this is before the days that stuff was getting clipped up and put on put on social media. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, honestly, hard to choose. The the thing that brings to mind is uh, we had Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro on T4 to promote a film but in fairness wasn't very good, uh, called The Wolfman. I think The Wolfman? Yeah, it's a remake. And um, uh, whoever my co-presenter was, probably Jamila, I think, was uh, interviewing Emily Blunt and Benicio Del Toro. And I was inexplicably hidden behind the sofa. And then at some point during the interview, uh, I leapt out. And I'm sort of in. I've got like a full uh, wolf uh, <laughs> like hair, like claws, um, and I just like like leap out and 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 sort of growl at um, at Benicio del Toro and Emily Blunt. And to say that Benicio del Toro, some I'm impressed. <laughs> it just, it's still like, it still makes me feel a bit sick thinking about it. <laughs> just, um, just, this was just, he could not, for the life of him, work out what was happening. And and to be honest, not a good night. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some stuff where I've said, I've said, yeah, yeah, go on, I'll do that. That sounds quite funny um, and, and regretted. And that's, um, yeah, that's that's a good example of the genre.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I was hung over and interviewed Jake Gyllenhaal and quite near the start of the interview, I asked him what I thought was a funny question, um, which was, uh, if I if I say to you, Jake, I'm going to give you the role that you were born to play. You're going to win an Oscar for it. You know, it's going to be the peak of your career. It's fantastic. It's it's it is literally the role you were born to play, uh, and you know, you're you, you're going to love it. Fantastic director, etc with the only catch being I've cast your sister Maggie as the love interest do you do the film Jake (laughs) he 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 looked at me like I was scum (laughs) no it's disgusting Um, and then the the, the real error of that was I did that about two minutes into a 10 minute interview so I've got eight minutes with Jake Gyllenhaal uh thinking I am uh, a massive prick um horrible absolutely horrible i still think it's a good question a, it is a good question <laughs> if it's just acting kiss your sister mate <laughs> 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 yeah, you I, I answer, so she's always like no he doesn't mean anything it's just it's, it's sort of mechanical like when you're and you're like well if that's the case <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> he seems like quite a serious guy so. <laughs> But do you know what? The the re- the awful thing is that.
0: I know lots of other people who have interviewed him and said, he's great. I'd be like, he's really funny, really
3: up for a laugh. Like, oh. Is he? Is he really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, as someone living in the public eye, you must have had stories or, or like headlines written about you that weren't true. What is like the most far fetched thing you've ever seen written about yourself?
0: There was a, there was once a headline in the sun, this disgusting rag that it is. Um, uh, and obviously, I didn't I only knew it was because someone pointed it out to me, um, so I would never buy it. Uh, they, uh no, <laughs> something like um, Katy Perry uh, turning, no, hang on, me turning down a date with Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, uh, it has absolutely no grounding in reality whatsoever. I mean, not even. Is that because I mean, in reality you accepted the date? Just nothing. <laughs> no, no, as in uh, a date wasn't offered. Uh, there was no suggestion a date was getting offered. Uh, she'd, uh, you know, she'd presented uh, like a weekend of T4 with me. It was absolutely fine. Um, it was. I just I, Honestly, I was like, well, that is, I guess that's how it feels for, for um, really famous people lots of the time when people just make stuff up. I mean, it... it yeah, really, really weird. Really, really weird.
2: That's how um, we make our money done. Yeah. This episode. Rick Edwards, yeah. Katy Perry, question mark.
0: <laughs> the, the real
3: story. <laughs> Click here for the real story. <laughs>
0: yeah, the real story, Unfortunately. No dates, no date, date. offered, no, no, no interest. <laughs>
2: One of them real clickbait ones we have to read for about 10 minutes, and at the end, it's just Rick saying it wasn't true. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, you've mentioned Katy Perry, Jake, Gyllenhaal. What's the most starstruck you've been?
0: Oh, that's that's pretty easy. Uh, it's uh, Steam Gerrard, um, and I'm I'm pretty good, I think, with meeting, you know, pretty famous people. Um, because, you know, there was definitely a, not so much anymore, but definitely a period of my working life where it was just quite a sort of common occurrence and you just you know, just one of those things. And you very quickly realize, obviously, they're all just people and almost all of them are pretty nice, um, or pretty nice to you anyway. Uh but where that totally falls down for me is sports people because I just I have such sort of high regard for sports people generally and particularly footballers and particularly Stephen Gerrard. Um, and so I met him uh, after the 2012 um, League Cup final, whatever it would have been then, Carling Cup final. Um, and uh, it was just pathetic. I just couldn't, I was just. <laughs> I was like I was like a schoolboy. I was just literally like a schoolboy asking to have my program signed. And I desperately wanted to like engage him in some, you know, witty repartee. And I I had nothing. I just had nothing.
3: I was just I was just grinning like an imbecile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's pathetic. Ryan and I, um so Trammy got promoted. Uh not that some were just gone that the, the the year before, so it was yeah. the second year in a row we got promoted, and we scored in the 119th minute of the game, oh, to, nice. to to win it. And the, the lad who scored it, Connor Jennings, Ryan, and and with with the help of some of the other lads at our mates' wedding a few years ago, made up the song that everyone sings about Connor Jennings, which is the tune of um, September. Like, we got <laughs> Connor Jennings, bar-. so that anyway. We're in the bar then the day after the playoff final because they did like a trophy thing at the stadium, and then Conor Jennings walked past us, and we've been on the ale for about seventy-two hours at this <laughs> point. And one of the other lads I think gripped him round the neck and dragged it was him. was it? It was definitely me. Dragged <laughs> him in, into the circle, and, and we were like, "Hey." He, he came up with the song about you, you know, and he just went, I fucking hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, eh, so annoying. All people do is shout it at me all the time. His family <laughs> sing it and everything. He was like, yeah, I'm it. sick of it. And we are like, oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> and we are like, well, that wasn't us. That was them <laughs> lads over there. We hate it. It's a crap song. <laughs> Rick, if you had like a Friday night sort of chat show, so like a Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton-esque affair, and you were able to choose your, your line-up of guests for the show for the first episode, who would you pick for your, for your first three guests on the show?
0: Oh, I, I mean, I don't just want to uh, clock to be my answer to all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm probably, I am getting him on. Uh, so clock, um, do you know what I think, um, just to be topical, Kamala Harris, that'd be a great booking, mm. And then
3: uh, uh, Larry David. It's not a bad lineup, is it? Superb. I mean, no. Superb. Super super You're not going to do everything. You're not going to get Jilin all on and apologise to him live for the nation. Apologise to Jilin. If anything, going to come and apologise to me. You should get Maggie on and ask her the same question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then cut live to a camera on Jake's face to see his reaction. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, Yeah, there's the yeah, definitely. What? Yeah, As she picks i I picked up her Oscar.
2: Yeah. Because <laughs> he's going to have to kiss her and not get the Oscar if it's the other way around. So. Exactly. Yeah, That's <laughs> right. He's the real winner. Yeah, it's definitely not me, unfortunately. Danny likes to act like he's six foot. I wish I was six foot. We're both in reality about five foot
3: ten. I didn't agree to any of this. I'm a hundred percent six foot. He's not six
0: foot. What's it like being six foot
3: five? Hard,
0: hard for me to answer that. Don't really know what it's like not to be. Um apart <laughs> from growing up. I guess, I guess when I was a child, I was always with <laughs> <being> names <famous laughs> my brother, like, i <laughs> I think um it, I think it's just about um the acceptable level of height in that yes, I'm a tall fella, but I'm not like look at the giant tall. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. I think I think if I was uh even, like, look at Richard Osmond. He's he's only... Uh, so he's six, seven. He's a couple of inches, maybe two and a half inches taller than me. But you look at him and you're like, good God! Like, <laughs> that, is, that is a huge, huge man. Um, and I think, like, it's quite distracting. Uh, whereas I think I've just... Well, he's not really for me so but I think I'm just about on the cusp of acceptability. There. Uh, also, I'm, I'm, I'm shrinking. Um, like, I, I think... I think I'm now closer to six four than, than six five, um, and that is that is just the ravages of time. You, can, you yeah. can't do anything about that.
3: Maybe that's what happened to me. Maybe I was six foot. <laughs> I don't know. Swear I was. Swear I got measured once and I was six foot. Actors, by and large, are very short. Mm. And, uh,
0: so transfer. when I used to do a lot of kind of red carpet, like premiere, film premiere, hosting stuff, the actors would come over and stand next to me. And they would, like without any exception, absolutely hate the fact that I was looming over them. They would hate it. Like, and they, could, <laughs> like they, they couldn't they could not not comment on it. Like, like, I'm it,
2: picturing it, you like ruffling the hair. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> that
0: as well. <laughs> <laughs> giving him like...
3: Getting him
2: under <laughs> <the ear. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <Tom Cruise laughs> under
1: his arm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and some, sometimes they like, literally um, make me either sort of do like, Stand with my legs splayed to make me a bit shorter, or asked to stand on a step. It's amazing. I had a photo with Daniel Radcliffe, who, by the way, very very nice man, but you know, like five foot two or something. Um, no, he's probably five foot four. He's short. Uh, and uh, in in the photo, like we're standing, and then his um, his publicist sort of just goes, "Can you maybe um, sort of slide down a bit?" So I did. I'm basically, I'm virtually doing the splits, um, and, he's, <laughs> and he's up on his little tippy-toes, and I'm still towering
3: over him. <laughs> <My> little tippy-toes. <laughs> My little tippy-toes, bless, bless him. <laughs> you thought he could do like a spell and make himself yeah. bigger, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, he
0: really doesn't like talking about Harry Potter. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so would you rather go on a night out with Batman or Spider-Man? That's a great question, isn't it? And you don't want to rush into it. Yeah, I know it's quick, but you don't want to rush into an answer. Uh,
0: I think, I think I'm going Batman because I think he's psychologically more interesting. Yeah, um, and and sort of growing up, like I, I loved both, but I think I always I was one of these people who gravitated more towards Batman because Batman was just a fella, very very rich, very in shape, very well trained. But a fella. Like he you know, he doesn't have any superpowers. Um and I think Bruce Wayne, like he's a complicated character, isn't he? I think I think I'm having
3: more I think I'm having more fun with, with Batman. It's it's probably gonna, go I to feel it's gonna be intense, well. like a really intense night out. So, like there's be, money yeah. getting spent, but I feel like you'd end up somewhere both both physically and emotionally you didn't want to be. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Well, like you set him off. Peter Parker's an absolute square.
3: Yeah.
2: But I reckon he'd get up and dance and stuff, and he'd get a bit too drunk, but Batman, he'd be like, come for a dance? A would be like, no. Be
3: like no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No worries,
2: mate.
0: <laughs> no, Johnny, you're not asking him again, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no problem at all, Bruce. No, 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 <laughs> you sip your whiskey at the bar not again.
3: <laughs> my, my round around, is it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like Peter Parker is uh, like all of the the kids that were doing maths at uni with
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> so last one, um Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney recently bought, I don't know if I've said his name right, recently purchased Wrexham Football Club. Yeah, it's Ryan right, Reynolds, yeah. What's your, <laughs> what's your most random purchase?
0: Oh do you know what? And it, this is not sorry, this is not a random purchase, so it's a bad it's a bad answer. Um, but it's sort of, it's a bit football related in that when I was a kid, obviously uh, there was older kids who went to the football and somehow had Stony jackets. And I, you know, would spend a lot of time sort of in in, in the one shop that sold Stony, just sort of looking at Stony and thinking, how is anyone affording this? This is mad. This is absolutely <laughs> mad. but <laughs> like that's... A, it's yeah. just... <laughs> uh, but also, like, de- really, really wanting one. And then, uh, in my late 20s, so, uh, once I was uh, uh, on, on telly, uh, I bought myself a stony jacket, and okay. it was... Uh, it was a great feeling. <laughs> it was absolutely seminal for me. <laughs>
2: Football fans are... That sort of group of people who still live at home with the mum but go to the match in like £1,200 worth of clothes. It's, I, it's, I change it up every weekend, and you kind of like, I think I've got like four jobs just to get these clothes to go to the match.
0: But is, you, you do sometimes you look around at, at football stadiums and think, there is so much money contained in those down jackets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's it coming from? <laughs> Don't know. um, I've got quite a. I don't know if it's a good anecdote or not, really. Um, But you you tell me. Um, A few years ago, this has a slightly sort of dark uh, element to it, but I think you, I think you'll like it. Um, A few years ago, uh, again, and you can imagine how excited I was about this. I was getting shown around the uh, the Stone Island shop in London uh a PR for, for Stone Island and I was you know th- thrilled to bits and very much hoping that they might give me a free jacket obviously. and um, <laughs> and so uh, we uh, we're, we're looking around and I'm and I'm I'm genuinely like I, I do like the, the the brand and I was sort of talking to her uh, and this was not that long after the awful uh, Lee Rigby killing and I don't know if you remember, but the guy, when he was sort of doing his uh, very close to camera stuff in in the aftermath, wearing a stony beanie, um, and uh, and so I, and I, no, I mean this is not, I shouldn't have mentioned it, <laughs> but uh, I think it came up. I'm not sure I I necessarily brought it up, and I was like, that must have been, I mean that's an absolute nightmare. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you <laughs> clearly don't want to be associated with that. And uh, she was like, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's pretty bad, but, you know, you just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just got to, you know, just soak it up and, and, and move on. What else can you do? Fine. The, the the conversation meanders somewhere else, and then a bit later, I say to her, uh, of course, you know, it's, 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 it's got different, um, you know, sort of a different brand image and sort of brand association, hasn't it, in, in different countries like in Italy, it's like really sort of like quite high high fashion. Um you know, whereas, you know, is is it is it still here very much, you know, terraces? And uh and she's and she just looked at me and just went, what? It was one, it was one guy. It was one guy. <laughs> Like, oh no, 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 oh, no, no, T- oh, no, 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 terraces, terraces. Terraces. It's the one I made up which you genuinely thought I said terraces. Uh, is, is it here, is it mainly terrorists?
3: Is it-, <laughs> it was one guy. You can imagine the PR line. It, look, yeah, one, it was one man's <laughs> terrorist.
0: One guy. It's one guy. It's it such a great response. It was one guy.
3: <laughs> Come on. Have some respect. <laughs> I really didn't know where that was going. No, and neither did was I. Like I, I was, I was like quite, quite scared.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't think it's going there, though, particularly.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not the best pod placement, is it, really? No.
3: Oh, did it get free coats? No. No. Um, It's one guy. (laughs) That should be their next like ad campaign. It was only one guy.
0: It was one guy. One guy. Just (laughs) leave.